Major League Baseball wants to change how it does business. It's Monday, February 27th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. Spring training began on Friday, and from now until October, you'll be able to watch baseball at almost any waking hour. More than any other sport, baseball thrives on its steadiness and even its calming presence. It's been around for over a century, and when you talk to people about what they love about going to a baseball game, they'll probably say something about just having a beer and catching up with friends. But more and more, MLB is open to the idea of changing things. We have a bunch of rule changes coming in this year, and we'll be covering those in the lead-up to the season, but MLB is also asking questions about its economic model. And now they are doing that in a more formal way. Last week, MLB launched an economic reform committee to look principally at two issues. The first is the issue of regional sports networks. We've covered this one recently, so I'll keep it quick. But Diamond Sports Group has the local broadcast to 14 of the 30 MLB teams and is likely headed toward bankruptcy because, as best I can tell, their owner, Sinclair, badly underestimated how quickly cord cutting was going to happen when they bought those RSNs in 2019. Or they thought it would be easier to convert those users to Sinclair's own streaming service. I don't know, but they did mess up. And now Major League Baseball is going to have to figure out what its deal is when it comes to local broadcasts going forward. I did an interview on a Cleveland television station, and their basic question was, will we be able to watch the Guardians? And my answer was, probably. But it ain't over till it's over, and we don't know what the next arrangement will be, and there's not a ton of time to figure it out. We'll keep on the story. But there is a second reason that MLB is launching this committee, which in two words is Steve Cohen. Have any owners directly said to you, Steve, what are you doing spending all this money? Or is this stuff you kind of hear through whispers? Well, it's interesting. At the owners meeting, I, I had owners coming up and they go, you're 100% right. You are following the rules, which, which I am. And they, you know, like I said um, in, a, in a previous article, they laid down the rules and I'm following them. Steve Cohen is a very successful hedge fund trader. His firm Point72 Asset Management has about $27.2 billion in assets under management, and Cohen himself is worth an estimated $13.2 billion, according to Bloomberg. We should also mention that Cohen was banned by the SEC from supervising funds that manage outside money from 2016 to 2018 because he failed to stop a portfolio manager at his firm from engaging in insider trading. After the 2020 season, Cohen bought the New York Mets for $2.4 billion, which is still the record for an MLB team. Cohen is a businessman. He uses terms like long-term vision and sustainable future when talking about the team, but it's also clear that he's a fan. He wants to win, and he's willing to spend hundreds of millions of dollars to do that. With Crea's deal, the Mets have now committed more than $800 million to free agents this offseason, which includes reigning Cy Young winner Justin Verlander. That's over $200 million more than any other team has handed out to free agents in a single season. The Mets' payroll is currently over $380 million next season. I feel like we're talking about monopoly money, but it's not. It is a real... Let's zoom out. Baseball does not have a salary cap. What it does have is what usually gets referred to as the luxury tax, or in MLB's parlance, the competitive balance tax. This year, the threshold is $233 million. If your payroll is above that line, teams have to pay a percentage of every additional dollar into a fund which gets distributed to smaller market teams. That tax rate itself goes up at $253 million, $273 million, and as the most recent collective bargaining agreement, $293 million. Above that, you have to pay 80 cents for every additional dollar, but if, like the Mets, you did that last year, the penalty goes up to 90%. That last threshold, it has a nickname. 
It's called the Cohen tax. It's called that because only Steve Cohen pays that tax, and he doesn't care. The Mets were already above that line when they agreed to sign Carlos Correa for 12 years, $315 million. That deal ended up falling apart over concerns following Correa's physical, but before it did, Cohen made his attitude towards spending very clear. He told John Heyman of the New York Post, quote, In the end, what the heck's the difference? If you're trying to make a move, you make the move. Cohen has also confirmed that the Mets lost money in 2022. He didn't say how much, just that the amount was, quote, bigger than a bread box. I don't even know what that means. No one knows what it means, but it's provocative. No, it's not. It's it gets gross. the people going. I've spent a little too long staring at that phrase, wondering how much money is bigger than a bread box, but I guess that's how billionaires talk about what we can probably safely say is tens of millions of dollars. Other owners have been grumbling about Cohen off and on because most of them were treating the luxury tax like a salary cap. Cohen obviously is not. The Yankees and Dodgers also routinely go over at least the first threshold, and the San Diego Padres do too. For the Yankees and Dodgers, spending a lot is on brand, but not so much for the Padres. And last week, Padres chairman and owner Peter Seidler was asked if their level of spending is sustainable, and he had a very interesting response. He said, people love that word. Let's find a different one. Putting a great and winning team on the field in San Diego year after year is sustainable. What Seidler and Cohen are doing is blowing up the myth that baseball teams need to be run like normal businesses. When a normal business spends more than they make, eventually they either change that equation or they go out of business. With a team, it's really up to the owner how much of their personal fortune they want to invest. But even if you look at this in purely economic terms, there are factors working in the owner's favor that don't really get enough attention when people talk about this stuff. The first is that team valuations basically only go up but for tax purposes, they are treated like they go down. Physical assets like cars and factories are assumed to be less valuable over time because of physical wear and tear. And for tax purposes, you can write off the lost value and pay a lot less in taxes. You can also do that with sports teams, and owners routinely avoid paying taxes because they have a large depreciating asset whose value is actually going up. So when owners lose a bread box of money on players' salaries, Big picture, they are doing just fine, and owning a team may still be profitable year to year for their bottom line before we even factor in the huge return they get when they sell. But from the owner's perspective, they would like to be able to compete for good players without spending lots of money, but the Coens and Seidlers of the world are making that challenging. The moment this economic reform committee was announced, there was chatter that owners are going to make another push for a salary cap. I can promise that will be a total non-starter with the Players Association, but they might try anyway. It's something they've wanted for a long time. And that talk is only going to get louder next offseason, when Shohei Otani becomes a free agent. There has never been a player like Otani, and if he's healthy and stays at the level he has set the last two years, his next deal will be for at least $400 million and could hit $500 million. And we can pretty much assume that the Mets will be in on the bidding. Padres too. As for your team, well, that's up to the owner. Up next, the creator of NBA Top Shot, which helped launch the NFT craze, is facing a lawsuit that could completely upend that whole industry. I had a lot of questions about what this means, and I spoke to the First Mint founder, LG Doucette, who has a lot of answers. We'll have that conversation right after this. Two thousand. 2008, 2022. When it comes to the economy, those are some scary years. Dot-com crash, housing crash, and the roller coaster we're going through right now. One thing is certain, it's a dangerous time to not know your numbers. 
but over 31,000 businesses have the confidence and clarity they need because they rely on NetSuite by Oracle, the number one cloud financial system. NetSuite gives you visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, and budgeting, so you can manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need all in one place. So, how do you prepare for uncertain times? The answer, NetSuite. NetSuite helps you identify rising costs, automate your business processes, and easily see where to save money. That's why 93% of customers say they improve their visibility and control when they upgraded to NetSuite. What are you waiting for? Right now, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to netsuite.com slash frontoffice right now. netsuite.com slash frontoffice. netsuite.com slash frontoffice. All right, I'm joined today by the founder of The First Mint, LG Doucette. Welcome, LG. What's up, Owen? Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, great to have you on. Uh, so we're taking on a topic that I think our listeners are at least somewhat familiar with, but I, I think we could use a little bit of orienting here. So um, why, why don't you start by telling us about what the first mint is, and we can get into sports and NFTs and what Dapper Labs is dealing with. But for starters, what's the first mint? So First Mint is a Web3 sports community, to kind of give it like a bigger blanket term. Uh, it started as a podcast just over two years ago, before, like maybe a couple months before people found out what NFTs were, so kind of at the end of 2020 when it was a very small niche part of crypto, uh, and it still is, but basically uh, I started the show because I wanted to cover a product that I was really in love with at the time, NBA Top Shot, which is basically like, uh, you know, if you took sports highlights and sold them as collectibles as though they were sports cards. That's basically what it is on blockchain. So I started this podcast called The First Mint, and we kind of blew up with the space, right? We were very fortunate to be at the right place at the right time and to be one of the only community voices at the time, one of the only podcasts that existed for the space. And since then, we've kind of helped, you know, uh, our audience and our community kind of connect the dots on some of these projects. We've had some really wonderful people on the show, including, um, if you want to talk uh, bigger sports names, we've had Daryl Morey on the show, who's the president of the 76ers. He's come on to talk about NFTs, which is hilarious, but that's, it's a very nerdy medium and it attracts a lot of nerds like him. Uh, and and that's who we are. So I think Top Shot is the part of this that most people have heard of. Give us, in your words, what's the story of of Top Shot? Hey, listen, like it's not totally dead. Like like sports NFTs still do like six to seven million dollars in trading every week, which is not it's not nothing, mm-hmm. right? Like that's still people are, and that's on secondary. So people still spend a lot of money. Top Shot probably does between five hundred thousand and a million dollars of that volume. So it's still actively traded. You're still seeing like four to five thousand buyers every single week on the top shot market so it's 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 pretty good for something that's like dead and like a down market uh top shot was originally sold and i think still is his main value prop as like a stock market of basketball players because again uh unlike traditional sports cards where it's like if you want to buy the card and i'm selling it to you i gotta ship it to you across the world i gotta make sure it's in good conditions basically like the, the value prop of nba top shot and all the other similar licensed like uh, nft collectible products is that they um it's an instant market right like you can open the nft in a pack and then you instantly have it and you can sell it like seconds later or buy it seconds later or whatever so it's it's a far more accelerated version of sports collecting um and the trouble they've come into recently obviously is that initial value prop that it's like hey it's kind of like a stock market of basketball players something that was thrown around as an innocent line three years ago but is now clearly coming back to 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 be not so nice a thing to say about something that was a, a potentially an unregistered security 
so Dapper Labs is being sued. And basically the, the claim in the, I think it's a class action suit, is that these are securities and they are not registered as such. So take us into what exactly that means. So basically, like if you're if you're selling something that's like a share of a company and you're doing it publicly, that's something you have to register with the SEC if you're in the US or I don't, I'm in Canada, I don't know what we register with, but something similar. Um, you know, if I'm selling shares in my company, I'm doing it privately, I'm free to do so. I can sell you a portion of the company, whatever, and I can, I can sell that in whatever version I want, whether it's class A, B, C shares, whatever that is. Um, in this case, what they were selling Selling as product, which is NBA Top Shot moments, um, now the lawsuit is alleging these could have been securities, mainly because the success of the moments, which they're called, the NFTs are called moments, the success and the value of those moments has been directly tied many times to the success of the company, right? And one of the examples cited in the lawsuit is that like, hey, the value of these NFTs went down when the platform went down. The platform had different issues. The, the blockchain had different issues where it needed maintenance over the years. And as a result, the assets that we bought went down in value. So what they're saying is that it's like, hey, those are tied together. What we bought is directly correlated to the product you're building. So that that's bad. Like I'll give you a good analogy, but well, it's, it's probably a terrible analogy, but is that basically like if I'm selling tickets to a uh, to a boat cruise, but I'm using that money to build the boat, and that the the value of the tickets loses, like I can't resell the tickets because the boat doesn't work. I was buying shares in the boat, not the boat cruise. You know what I mean? It's like the, it's like the product. They didn't separate product from platform properly enough because it was a startup. It was a startup being built in real time, and as a result, the lawsuit is basically saying like, "Hey, these moments, we're actually buying shares in your company and investment in the success of your company, not in just a, a fun digital product." Another part that they're alleging as well is that like, unlike a Panini card or Topps card, which is like, "Hey, listen, Panini and Topps, if they go out of business." Those cards still hold value. And if anything, you could say those cards will have more value if Tops goes out of business. It's like, hey, yeah, that's you know, that's out, you know, that's uh, you know, very scarce, right? Whereas this, it's like, especially initially, you could only trade these cards on the NBA Top Shop marketplace. And what they're saying as well is that it's like, hey, like that, we're again, we're investing in the platform, not in the product, because if NBA Top Shop goes out of business, we have nothing. You literally don't own a thing. All right. So the claim is that this is a stock market, not because if I get like a Zion Williamson card and then he wins the MVP or not a card, an, MV, uh, an NFT, um, then like his value goes up. That's not the stock market part of it. It's that I, that that NFT is inextricably tied to the the platform that it is is built on. And that you were buying like shares in it. And if you go through what the what the judge has done is use something called the Howey test, which is how you determine whether something's a security or not. And that's been used a lot in the last couple of years in crypto because there's all these coins and all these NFTs and people are like, are you sell what are you selling me? Am I investing in your company or am I just buying something fun? And basically this Howey test has four different components, like basically questions you ask to see, does this qualify as a security? Um, and and we covered them quite a bit, but one of the things, one of the one of the parts of the Howey test uh, I think number three is a return, a promise of return on profit, right? Which again, you're investing in a company, even if you're buying a publicly traded stock, they will give you dividends, right? And that is a return on profit or whatever that is. Um, in this case, what's really fascinating to me is that the the in the lawsuit, they've actually pulled up tweets from the NBA Top Shot account from two years ago saying, hey, you tweeted this with like rocket ship emojis and fire emojis and like up chart emojis that pretty much insinuate that people can make money by being on this platform and buying the moments. And that 
that's not good. And that's, I think it's hilarious. They're using tweets from like, just be like the NBA Top Shot Twitter account be like, hey, come buy our product. This is super fun. But now it's coming back to bite them, which is, which could set a, a crazy precedent in the crypto industry that you can't use the rocket emoji, right? <laughs> right. That's, that's what could happen. You never know. Yeah. You'll start seeing those things where it's like, this is not investment advice. Like this is not a, you yes. know, some kind of disclaimer. Well, that's what you're supposed to do, right? Even us as a publication, like we, you know, we have an insurance policy. We have everything we need to kind of try and play safe. And we put that everywhere we have of like, this is not financial advice, make your own decisions. This is just what we think. Um, in their case, I, I think they had that many times saying it's not an investment, but at the same time, if you're tweeting out really popular tweets saying like, you know, they kind of insinuate, hey, you can make money here. That's that's what's being used against them in this case. So if NFTs are, or, or yeah, in, in this case, considered securities, does that just mean, you know, Dapper has to pay some fines and do some paperwork and then they're okay? Or does that totally change the market? I think that first, I think before they let it actually get to trial, I think they would settle out of court, uh -huh. which I don't know what kind of precedent that would actually set. But I think that they would definitely like settle bef because at the end of the day, like going to trial would mean that you would see like all the emails and all the text messages and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, you're a startup, man. Like you don't want that kind of stuff coming out. Like, you know, think any big startup, you know, you know, like you don't want Zuckerberg's like emails from 2005 coming out. Like you don't want that in court. So um, I think by all means, Dapper's going to try and avoid uh, actual trial for this. So I think worse, you know, they might end up settling. Man, if it did go to trial and these were securities, you see like that's like a nuclear bomb going off in the industry, honestly. I've already I, I you know, we work with quite a few projects uh, behind the scenes as consultants and already one project has canceled their plans for NFTs uh, because of this lawsuit this past week. So already we're seeing the repercussions of like legal teams across the board being like, you know what, this NFT thing, maybe let's just wait a little bit, you know, to see what actually happens. So that's that's starting to happen, man. Um, yeah, worst case scenario, they're discovered a security in which case you would have like an FTX size bomb go off in the NFT market where they would go beyond sports and, and NBA, NFL or anything like that. That 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 would set a precedent for, for many more NFTs as well, honestly. All right. Very interesting. LG, thanks so much for joining us. Of course. Thanks for having me. That's it for today. Hit us up with any questions, ideas, feedback at today at frontofficesports.com and I'll see you tomorrow.